This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit lakeeriechurch.com. Now here's today's message. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 20. This is a location that is uh, very familiar uh, to me, obviously. I've been hanging out in this passage for a long time. It's one that I've used frequently uh, here at our church, but it's something that the Lord has brought me back to in recent days. And I just feel like that God has given me something very personal, but also prophetic for our church. Now, some of the things I'm going to say today, they're, they're, very, pers- they're very personal to me. But at the same time, I see that, that connection with what God is trying to say to our church. We're in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 18. Now, just to set the tone, if you don't know, this is that, that, die, that discourse or monologue, I should say, that Paul has with the elders at the church at Ephesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is the last time that he will ever see them. And he decides that he wants to tell them some things that are incredibly personal and very important. And in this passage, God has been speaking to me about my own life. And I just learned many years ago that the best preaching I could ever do would be just to talk to people about what God is doing in me what God is teaching me, what God is saying to me. And remember that God is saying this to me in the context of the environments where I'm leading, where I'm serving, where I'm working. And so it's direct correlation with our church and its vision and its its position in the community seems so incredibly relevant to me this morning. And I want to take my time. I may be a little longer than I usually am. But I hope that you'll stay with me because I believe God is speaking to you and me this morning out of this passage. Beginning with verse 18, Paul says, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Verse 22. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Notice this last sentence. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others The good news about the wonderful grace of God. 
Now, I, I think it's important that as we get started this morning that we understand something. That our salvation experience is not merely a career choice. It's not about a, a choice that we made for our career, nor is it a function of our church to be something more than what God has called us to be. We're not trying to advance ourselves, nor are we trying to make ourselves famous. But in reality, each of us have been saved because we have been called to a higher purpose. We are saved to be part of the kingdom of God in this world. If it were about us, then we might want to pursue the seats of importance, places of prestige and recognition. But this isn't really about us. It's about the work of God's kingdom. It's about the advancement of His plans for the earth. And so there is a passion in my heart this morning to make sure that you understand and that we all know that our lives only matter. They only matter in this life to the extent that we serve God faithfully and do His will. It's the only reason that our lives would matter. If we do God's will and we serve His purpose while we are here on the earth. You see, if I'm honest with you, this may well turn out to have been the hardest year of my ministry career. And I've been in the ministry for more than four decades. I've spent a great deal of time this year working through the challenges and the obstacles that this year has brought. And I must confess to you, and I believe it's important for you to hear me say this, that there have been times when I believe I have been distracted by the outside things that took my eyes off of Jesus and what He called me to do and what He sent me to Lake Erie to do. And for that, I have repented and refocused myself in that regard. Not in a way that would lead to open sin, but just in ways that have been distracting from the purpose of God. And at times I felt like we as a church have done the same. Things that were going on outside of the church. And then even some things that were going on inside the church have been used by the enemy to take our eyes off of the mission to which God has called us. What am I saying? I'm saying what Paul said. In, verse, in the last verse, he said, My life is worth nothing unless I am using it to finish the work <clears throat> that was assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So in recent days, there's been a tug in my own spirit to make sure that I'm running on the right track that I am pursuing the right goals, that I am making the right choices. And I believe that's the call of God for Lake Erie Church, to make sure that we're running on the right track, that we are chasing the right goals, that we are making the right choices. Because the hour is late and Jesus is coming and we must be about the work of the Lord. 
So this morning for our time, I want to look deeply into the passage and I want to extract three words, just three, that I think speak to me and speak to our church. And in fact, I had this thought this week as I was preparing that God may in fact be speaking to someone who is watching me right now who's not even a part of Lake Erie Church. Maybe you drifted by today and joined in. Somebody sent you an invite and you have joined in. You don't even attend our church. I believe God has sent this message for you today. I believe that you're here not by chance but by choice. It was the choice of God that you would hear the word of the Lord today. And my prayer is that God will speak to us as a people. And that God will move us and do in us the things that He desires to do. We've asked all of our elders and all of our staff to be online. I've asked them to identify themselves. They're available to help you while I'm preaching this morning. If you need prayer, if you have questions, reach out. And allow others to help you in this process as we move forward. Here's the first word. That word is motivation. Motivation. Now the word motivation simply means the reason one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. The reason that you do what you do, in other words. It's the why of Paul's message. This is the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. One must have to ask the question, why would Paul risk death to preach the gospel? He says in his own words, he said, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit is telling me that I'm going to jail if I go to Jerusalem. But he said, I don't consider that to be important to me. What was his motivation? Here's a man who put his own life in peril. I won't, I won't take the time this morning to read it all, but in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul goes through a very elaborate list of all the things that he's gone through to preach the gospel. All the things that he has endured. All the things that he has suffered for the cause of Christ. Why would he do that? Because he saw the calling of God was not simply a personal experience, but it was a call to be involved in God's kingdom upon the earth. If you think that God saving you was just about you, then you have missed one of the most important parts of why you're alive today. Why God saved you. Because I would contend to you that Paul's motivation had many different outcomes, but there was one that stood above them all. And it was this, winning lost people to Jesus. That was Paul's motivation. Paul was about winning souls. And I want to state for the record, I want everyone to hear me say this, that if Lake Erie Church is going to be a part of God's agenda in Lake County, we have to be a church that wins souls. We have to be a soul-winning church. It's not just about attendance. It's not just about numbers. It's not just about buildings. It's not just about money. It is about winning lost people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you and I are messengers. We are messengers of God's grace to the world. 
What drove Paul all those miles, all those journeys, was the chance that he had to tell some lost person about Jesus. Now you'll see it on the screen. They're going to pull it up for you. But I've used this statistic often. Every hour of every day in this world, 4,000 people die without Christ and go to hell. According to missiologists, people who do this for a living, 4,000 people every day, every day. That meant yesterday 4,000 people went to hell. Every hour of every day. So if you have 24 hours in a day, that's 100,000 people. 100,000 people went into eternity without Jesus yesterday. And that means 100,000 people will go into eternity without Jesus today. And every day, every morning that you get up, 100,000 people lost. What does that do? What does that have to do with anything? At Lake Erie Church. Well, some of those people live right here. Some of those 100,000 people are your family. Some of those people are people that you work with. People that you know. I'll never forget this. Shelly and I had not been pastors here very long. And a, a woman in our church told us that she was standing in a line at a local store. And a woman in front of her was struggling to try to pay her bill just just in the, the, the frenzy of getting her purse and all that stuff. You know, it wasn't that she couldn't pay, but she was just frenetic trying to get it all together. And she turned around to the lady who attended our church and she said, I'm so sorry I'm taking so long. I'm just not myself today. She said, my child died last night from a drug overdose. And I just don't have it all together. And when the lady from our church asked her where she lived, she said, I live on Antioch Road. I've never forgotten the feeling when I heard that. I started driving every morning on Antioch Road every day and praying over the 91 houses that are on that street. I've met some of those people. A time or two, some of them have attended our church. We've had special prayer for the people on Antioch Road. But the fact of the matter is, this person died, this adult child died in the shadow of our building. And I wonder if we realize that. God has positioned us and we are here for the purpose of telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our iServe team and I have walked the streets of Antioch. We, we've passed out donuts. We've, we've done other things to make the people aware, to try to share the story. The point I'm making is that there must be in our church, among our people, with your pastor, with elders, with staff, there must be a strong motivation to win lost people to Jesus. And if there is not, we are not the church God wants us to be. So we are asking God to save 100 people at Lake Erie this next year. That's what I told the staff one night in a, in a staff meeting when we were asking 
talking about asking God for big things, a hundred people. And you know, since I have said that to the staff, I have been wondering, what is a hundred people? If 4,000 people every hour of every day are lost without God. A hundred sounds like an incredible thing for us. And it's a third of our church. A third of the size of our church. If God saves a hundred people this year, it'll be a third of the size of our church. But there will still be many, many, many more that do not know Jesus who will go to hell. The motivation of winning lost people. Our motivation must drive us to make sure that there is nothing going on in this church that prevents people from coming to Jesus. In fact, we should have the prayer in Acts 15 that we should not make it hard for people to come to Jesus. What does that mean? It means we have to look at everything we do and figure out if what we're doing helps people come to Jesus or prevents them. So here are four prayers that I try to pray in my own life. I don't pray them every day, but I try to pray them as often as I recall them. I'm offering them to you without commentary, but just four prayers that you should probably pray with me every day that you can. Number one, Lord, lead me to someone today who needs you. Lord, lead me today to somebody who needs you on my job, in my school, in my neighborhood, with my family. Lead me to someone today. Number two, make me spiritually aware of what is happening around me. Give me a spiritual sensitivity to be aware of what is happening around me. Number three, help me talk about Jesus more than I talk about my church. It's so easy to talk about church. But the, the honest fact of the matter is a lot of people in our world are turned off to church. They're still turned on to Jesus. And the story of Jesus is what attracts people. Then number four, God, give me the courage to pray with people right in that moment. Motivation. Second word is opportunity. Opportunity. Because when I read these words and I give time to think about them, I see that there is actually a strategy in Paul's desire to get to Jerusalem. If you go back a little bit, you will discover that Luke says that he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem because the Feast of Pentecost is about to begin. A big Jewish feast. The city is going to be full of people. And when Paul evaluates the opportunity to preach the gospel in Jerusalem against the risk that may come if he goes there, he says that's a no-brainer. Because the opportunity to present Jesus is far more important than the risk that it may bring to my physical well-being. In Paul's mind, Jerusalem is the religious capital of the world. People are going to be coming from all over the world to Jerusalem. The opportunity to preach in Jerusalem means that somebody from some distant place would come to Jerusalem, hear the message of Jesus, and take that message of Jesus back to a place that Paul would never be able to go physically himself. It's because he saw the opportunities 
that God was giving to us. And that's what I'm seeing. The opportunities that God is giving to Lake Erie Church. And as we, as we debate our future, as we think about where we need to be, as we evaluate the doors that God is opening for us, we have to keep asking ourselves, how do we leverage the opportunities that God is giving us to take the gospel to a community that doesn't know the Lord Jesus? Now my experience tells me that there are seasons in life that are more important than others. And if I am honest, as your pastor, I'm telling you, I believe that Lake Erie is in a season of rare opportunity for the kingdom of God. If we miss this opportunity, we may never get another opportunity like it. We have been positioned in a new season for winning souls and making disciples for the kingdom of God. And it's time. In fact, it's past time that we got serious about winning people that we know that are lost without Christ. Our sons and our daughters. Many years ago, a friend of mine who was an evangelist said a woman walked up to the altar for prayer and said to him, Brother, I'd like for you to pray for my husband. He's lost without God. And he said, I've never done that before, but I felt prompted by the Lord to ask her the question. When was the last time that you prayed all night long for your, your husband to come to Christ? And she looked at him. She was embarrassed and she said, I, I don't believe there's ever been a night that I've prayed all night long. And he said, I looked at her and I said, well, ma'am, go do that. She was at first insulted by the evangelist's unwillingness to pray for her. But as she went back to her seat and as she drove home that night, she realized that she was asking others to do what she herself had not even done. And so she went home. Her husband worked a late night shift and so she went into her room and she made provisions and she started to pray that night and decided she would pray through the night if that's what it took for her husband to come to Christ. You see, there was a desperation in her spirit that said, I don't, wanna, I don't want my husband to be lost and that this is what it takes. And so she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. As the early hours of the morning began to open up, her husband came in from work and found her on her knees. And he said to her, what are, you, what are you doing? She said, I've been praying all night. He said, why are you praying? She said, because you're lost. And I don't want you to be lost. And I told the Lord, if it took me to pray all night long, I would pray that you would give your heart to the Lord. He began to break down and cry and knelt down beside his wife and made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm not saying that's what you need to do or ought to do. I'm just telling you that there comes a point where we get serious about the fact that people that live in our house don't know Jesus. 
People who call us daddy and mama don't know Jesus. People that work beside us don't know Jesus. I remember when I pastored at High Point and I was talking to the kids in that church about their witness for the Lord Jesus. And a young boy who's now an adult, of course, his name was Jeff. Jeff was a star lineman for that high school, Trinity High School. And I said to Jeff, I said, Jeff, how many kids on the football team know that you know Jesus? Do you tell them about your relationship with Jesus? And he said, well, no, pastor, I don't think I ever have. I said, Jeff, you've never told any of the guys on the football team about what you told me was the greatest moment of your life? He said, no, I, I haven't. Well, you know what? By the next Sunday morning, he had a, some buddies there with him at church because he had taken the opportunity to tell them about the Lord. And what he found was they were ready. That's the point, <coughs> that we have a responsibility we have a responsibility to take the advantage of the opportunities. Here's the question I've not been able to get away from all week long. How can we leverage the opportunities that God is giving Lake Erie Church to win lost people? How do we do that? We've been doing strategy sessions with our elders. We, we've been talking to our staff. We've been talking to groups of people. But I think it's time that Lake Erie understand that there is a window of opportunity. How do we leverage that to win lost people? Because I think there's a couple of choices that we have to make as a church. Number one, we have to decide if this moment is bigger than we think. Is this moment that we're in right now, this transitional season, is it bigger than we think? If we've learned anything in my life, if I've learned anything, it is that God's plans are always bigger than you think. What God is planning, what God is doing, it's always bigger than what you're thinking. You're working on your plan. God's working on a hundred things. I told you Wednesday night in our Bible study, God's doing a hundred things in your life and you only see three. Because God's so involved, He's so much at work. And in a church like this, I promise you, God is working everywhere. And He wants somebody at Lake Erie, somebody in leadership, somebody at the pastoral level, somebody to step up and say, God, I see the opportunity and I seize it for the glory of God. Opportunity. When Ruth decided to remain with Naomi and not return home to pursue her own agenda, what she discovered is that God had a plan that was bigger than her. When Jochebed was preparing a basket to put her baby Moses in to protect him from Pharaoh, she didn't realize that she was also protecting him for the future that God had because God's plans were bigger. So we have to decide if this moment is bigger than we think and buy into that. And second of all, we have to decide if we are willing to fight for our future. The story of Nehemiah has always been an intriguing one for me. It's full of leadership. It's full of engagement. And I love to teach it and I love to preach it. But there's a passage in chapter 4 that has captivated me. And as I've thought about these days, I'm reminding you of the things that Nehemiah told the people as they were trying to get through their time. He said, don't be afraid of the enemy. 
I'm telling you, every time you start winning people to Jesus, the devil's going to fight you. The enemy's going to fight you. You're going to have to battle through your way to the promise of God. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the greatness of God. God's been reminding me. He's been reminding me over and over that He's with us. And that if God is for us, who can be against us? That the work of God is so great, so powerful, that God has put the full force of the kingdom behind winning people to Jesus. And then he said, you've got to fight for the things that matter. Now, Nehemiah knew these guys weren't going to fight for walls, but he said, you'll fight for your children. You'll fight for your sons and your daughters. And that's what our Generations Matter campaign has been saying. We're fighting for the next generation. We're fighting for the generations that are to come. We're believing that God is raising up a whole generation of young men and young women who will love the Lord with fierceness and and a fire and will be what God has called them to be. Here's the last word. The first word is motivation. The second word is opportunity. The last word is witness. Listen to me. I'm, I'm sure you sense my passion. This isn't just one of those quiet little talks. I want to remind you of something. The reason you're still alive today, the reason some of you didn't die from COVID, the reason you didn't die in that car wreck, the reason that heart attack didn't take you out, is because God is not finished with your witness yet. You're a witness to something. Paul said, I, I'm, I'm a witness, a visible living demonstration of what God does with sinners. I may not be a whole lot to you, but I'm a whole lot to God. Because God put Jesus on the cross to pay the ultimate price for my salvation. And you know what He did? He made me a witness to so I can't just get saved and sit down. I, I can't just go on about life as if nothing has changed about me. I think about a guy like Todd Daughtery in our church. The devil tried to destroy Todd. God saved him. And boy, did God save Todd. Saved him from the awfulness of a former life and put a fire in his soul. You come to Lake Erie on any given Sunday and you'll see guys walking in the door with Todd. Sometimes he'll introduce them to me as these are the guys I used to drink with. These are the guys I used to do drugs with. Some of those guys have gotten saved. In fact, some of them have been saved. Some have been baptized in water and at least one of them that I know has joined the church. You know why? Because Todd's a witness. He's a witness to what God has done. I thought about the nine men that the Lord healed of leprosy who went on about their way and never came back to give Him thanks. I don't want to be that way. 
I didn't deserve to be saved. He didn't have to save me. But he did. And I owe him my life. I walked around in the sanctuary this week preparing myself for this message. And I remembered my mother who told me that when I was five years old, it's been a long time ago, five years old, I walked down the, the aisle to the altar in my grandfather's church. I don't know if I remember it or not. I remember it probably from the story that she tells me. She said she came down and she prayed with me and she said I was crying and weeping in the altar. She said I looked up at her and I said, Mommy, I want to do something for Jesus with my life. I'm not five years old anymore. But I still want to do something for Jesus. I want to be a witness. I told a group of pastors this week in a coaching session, I said, it's not enough for you to hide behind the pulpit and say, well, yeah, I'm preaching about Jesus and people are getting saved, so I'm doing my part. I said, that's not enough. You got to get out there in the marketplace. You got to make friends with sinners. You got to be more than just a preacher of the gospel. You have to be a witness of God's grace. Somebody you work beside, somebody that you live near, somebody that's in the house with you. You need to be a witness. And I know someone said to me, I, I, I remember a few months ago, someone coming to the altar and asking me to pray for their children and said, Pastor, I, I guess I must have asked a hundred times for prayer for my son. I said, it doesn't matter. We just got to keep praying. We got to keep believing. Motivation. Why are we doing it? What is our motivation? I want Lake Erie to stay on track. I don't want us to get sidetracked. I want us to be about winning people to Jesus. I want us to make disciples. We haven't done a good job with that since I've been here. I'll take full responsibility for that. People have come in and given their heart to the Lord and we haven't had a good system for helping them to get rooted and grounded. I'm praying about that. I think the Lord is helping me to see a pathway. We're going to do better at that. We have to reproduce ourselves. We have to make disciples. There's something else we have to do and I'm, I'll finish with this. You and I have to be absolutely convinced that this is the right way. We have to be convinced it's the right way. Does that mean there will not be those moments when the devil will fight us and doubt will right? Yeah, it will. It does. I have them. I have moments when the enemy does to me what he did to John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was a man who firmly believed Jesus was the Messiah. 
And yet when he got over there in prison and when it didn't work out the way that See, he expected Jesus to come and deliver him out of prison. And Jesus said, I'm not coming, John. Don't be disappointed in me. John was unsure. He said, are you the Christ? Are you really the Christ? Or should we look for another? Jesus said, Here, tell John this. Blind people are seeing, lame people are walking. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Are you convinced that Jesus is the Christ? And if you're truly convinced, if we're truly convinced, if as a church we're really convinced that Jesus is the Christ, then we don't have any time to waste. We don't have any time to waste. We have to tell the world Jesus saves and that he loves them and that he wants to redeem them. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.